Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, the match day five recap podcast i'm sam leverage and i'm joined today by rory barley how are you today rory i'm good what what an evening of football apart apart from the sort of general genuine disappointment of real madrid pulling it out the bag i am pretty well yeah i mean we're all kind of hoping for valencia to be top of the league and give us something a bit different right yeah yeah i think a lot of us thought that the headline was going to be borderless there but in the end, Real Madrid do what Real Madrid do and they come back and they find a way to win. I think uh, there's a lot of people who who would have enjoyed seeing that, that 1-0 result, but fair play to Vinicius and Benzema who come up big yet again for Real Madrid. Yeah, so let's get started. There are obviously lots of action this weekend, Rory, but let's get started with that Sunday night late kickoff, which is kind of the big headline fixture of the weekend. What did you think of Real Madrid? How did you kind of evaluate their performance? I have to say, I wasn't particularly impressed. I think Real Madrid, for my mind, they've sacrificed a lot in in defence this season in favour of sort of freeing up the attack a little, but they showed relatively little in this game to, to trouble Valencia. I don't think I remember Mamadash really making more than one or two saves, to be perfectly honest, and until the, those last sort of 10, 15 minutes when Valencia dropped off a little they didn't really trouble them too much and that was credit to Valencia on the one hand but also it, there's questions to be asked and I think it, it was the same thing we saw against Inter if Inter had managed to finish some more of their chances they could have been in real trouble Yeah and I mean with Valencia as well you had to feel bad for them I mean in the first half losing Carlos Soler who's obviously been one of their big players at the start of the season and Thierry Correa came off in the first half as well I mean two big players to be losing to injury and Jose Bollax was kind of operating with one hand tied behind his back, wasn't he? I mean, the players mm-hmm. are, were working that extra bit harder, adjusting the system and changing. And you felt like this was always going to be really difficult for Valencia to keep up that same pace and rhythm and, and pressure right until the end. And, and Real Madrid do what Real Madrid do. I mean, you mentioned Inter, but even going back to last weekend against Celta Vigo, I mean, Celta Vigo were giving them a really good game up until kind of the hour mark and then the fitness just made the difference. So, I mean, with Real Madrid, do you think this is kind of the the grit and steel of a team of champions or is it a team that's going to get found out eventually and, and they're going to start dropping points? I would... I'd be reluctant to say that they're going to get found out because if I look at the other teams in La Liga, 
Right now, Valencia are about as good as it gets in terms of general play, in terms of being convinced of an idea and, and really taking the game to people. So wherever they get found out in La Liga, I think it's a question of, of other teams managing to be solid and shut Vinicius and Benzema down. I think that's the key to, to marshalling Real Madrid at this point. But there, there's certainly an argument that if they do come up against better teams or, or teams that maybe manage to keep a clean sheet, there isn't that defensive solidity that Zidane really counted on. And yeah, Valencia showed that today. I think Gedge really should have put one away as well. And they paid for that in the end. Yeah, and we've heard Has Karim on the podcast before saying about Ancelotti and his we will score one more than when you will approach. And, and that was evident again at Mestalla really, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And Valencia, I, I mean, let's take time out to, to really praise them because they were excellent for about 70, 75 minutes and really were the better team. I think over the course of the 90 minutes, most Real Madrid fans would be would find it hard to deny that Valencia were better than them. But football is a game of 90 minutes and, and when you do have that quality of Benzema, it can, it can open a game up for you and, and win you games when perhaps you shouldn't. Exactly, and that's what Real Madrid did, but really a question for the whole weekend. What was your best moment of the weekend? My best moment of the weekend, I, I mean, I'm going to have to say Doko and Hugo Duro. I think the way Mestalla erupted, and it's been fun having fans back, but what a moment, and Hugo Duro already sort of legendary in the minds of Valencia fans for that uh, sort of cup moment against Hitafe, and now he, he's sort of announced himself pretty well on his debut. It was good, it was good, but I think for me it has to be something else. It can't, I mean, Hugo Lord, a great young guy, but we have to look at the La Liga legends as well. We have Falcao back in La Liga <laughs> at Vallecas, making an impressive debut, coming on as a sub and scoring as well as Vallecano came up against Tafé in a Madrid derby. So let's hand over to you, Rory, as you spoke to Robbie Dunn, a famous Raya Vallecano fan, to speak a bit about that game and Raya Vallecano's start to the season under Andoni Gaiola. But first, let's listen in to some of the commentary of Falcao's historic goal, where one commentator got a little bit overexcited about the return of El Tigre. Listen to this. Falcao, Falcao, Falcao! Goal, 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 goal! Goal! Un tigre al suelto en la sabana vallecana! Welcome, I'm joined by Robbie Dunn, who is the author of Working Class Heroes, a book about Rayo Vallecano and sort of the, the surroundings of that, and it's well worth reading, but he's also an expert on the football side of things, it's more socio-political. Dive into it, how are you doing Robbie? How you doing, Rory? Uh, good. I, I don't know about being an expert on, on anything, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> the kind words. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I'd certainly worth getting your views on what happened at Rayo. In the end, it was a bit of a thumping of Hatafe, 3-0. They looked pretty good. And I saw I saw Jamie Campbell on Twitter tweeting, permission to get excited about Rayo staying up. Do we have permission? What are your thoughts on that game yesterday, Robbie? I think so, yeah. I think we do have permission in the sense that what we've seen from Iriola and, and it's a kind of a continuation from 
from what we saw in the Segunda and how they kind of managed their way through the playoffs is that he's really good at, at man management or sorry time management and game management and knowing uh, I mean knowing what subs to make at what time when to kind of push when to sit back when when um, Rio notice a weakness now and uh, in in the past Rio would um, have been very naive under the mm-hmm. likes of Paco Jemez. E- even even recently, the last time Rio were in the Primera, they couldn't hold on to leads. Didn't know how to kind of play when they were leading, and um, yeah, did, didn't know, didn't didn't really get the feel of the game. Whereas under Iriola, it feels like uh, he knows how to play against um against maybe not we, we haven't really seen him against the better sides because the Sevilla game was unfair and that Zidane got sent off after like 13 minutes but against teams that they should be beating I think Rio um have every chance to to win a lot of points against them and that's partly down to the signings that they've made but also down to Iriola knowing how to use those signings and how to manage a game Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, and speaking of signings, we couldn't uh, glaze over sort of the arrival of Falcao with with quite a bang. He he scored on his debut. Just ten minutes it took him to thump one into the corner. What does this signing mean for Rayo in terms of sort of their their prospects of staying in the division, but also just in terms of star power? Falcao. It's huge, uh, and it's kind of surreal a little bit because. You know, you get excited about signings or the possibility of signings and um, whenever your team is... For firstly, uh, any summer when you're talking about transfers and things like that and there's a whole market out there uh, based on that or, uh, and, uh, in the media. But in terms of... Um, especially when your team gets promoted, you're like, we're going to have to bring in five or six big names here and you're linked with all different kinds of players and things like that. And, and with Rio especially, it feels like... Uh, when you're when you're watching it, you get linked with different players, and uh, I, I don't know people like, uh, for example, uh, Kubo Take Kubo from Real Madrid. There was links with players like that, and you're kind of thinking, "Wow, that this could be incredible." And they end up kind of not materializing. Whereas when Falcao was mentioned, and they kind of close to the very end of the transfer market, it was like, I mean. <laughs> Firstly, it's he's a huge name, really exciting footballer. Secondly, he's exactly what Rio need. They've lacked goals. They've lacked like a focal point. And just him coming in, and we saw yesterday the way he took his goal, that kind of clinical finishing. It wasn't even a, I mean, I haven't seen the expected goals or anything like that. I don't know. like, uh, But it wasn't even that good of a chance. But he absolutely walloped at home. And it's that's the kind of strike that, uh, Raya wouldn't have scored in in the in the recent past, and uh, I think he just adds adds um, uh, both star power and, practically speaking, he adds a lot to this Rio team going forward. Yeah, to borrow a, a term from Spanish, he is the definition of a killer. He he is a fox in the box. He will score those sort of half chances. In his presentation, there there was a moment where the president uh, Presa was loudly whistled as he tried to speak and it was hard to even hear what he was saying such was the sort of reception he was getting could you just give us a bit of a background on what's been going on at Rio recently and why there's such animosity towards Pressa 
Well, basically, the um, uh, Raul Martin Pressa has been accused, and I think rightly so, of not investing enough in Rio since taking over the club back in 2011, I believe. And he um, he has not only not invested in the in the first team, but in the women's team, in the in the academy. He's cut budgets. He, he doesn't look after the stadium, and there's a kind of an agree. Uh, he rents the right away, kind of rent the stadium off the community of Madrid, and he feels like, well, why would I put money into this when I don't own it? And they're saying, well, it's up to you. Like you, you, uh, it, it's your responsibility. And I mean, you go to the games, and and it, it is nice, and it's kind of annoying because, and I probably. Uh, partly to blame here in this as well, like kind of romanticise the whole Rio experience. And it is uh, quite a nostalgic experience going to mm-hmm. Vallecas, old school, working class, um, a, a great match day experience. But at the same time, like when you're walking into the stadium and there's, and there's like um, barrier, uh, like like there's construction being done and, and it's not properly health and safety it wouldn't pass a health and safety inspection and when there's when there's bird crap on your seats and when there's no toilet paper in the <laughs> toilets and no no toilet seats and just just kind of it is quite nasty you know and, and I think the fans deserve more and then the, the big thing I guess is the kind of um, the political divide between the two and I don't actually know if Raul Martin Press has ever spoken about his which way he is left or right or whether that um, distinction can be clearly made but um, he invited the uh, the leaders of far right party box into the stadium last year, um, and this, as far as people from Vallecas go, and as far this was a, a, a provocation of the of the of the highest magnitude for them, a working class, uh, very um, majority left wing neighborhood, inviting Vox, a party that uh, that have have. Uh, openly campaigned against uh, immigration uh, LGBTQ rights things like that and you know it was, it was it was a direct provocation and that's why and I think that that's that's the kind of thing whatever about the re- the investment into the squad that's a financial thing that's a business matter you could argue but the political stuff is it, very um and it came at a time when when they couldn't invite or, or sorry there was no uh, fans in the ground so there was no one there to kind of whistle him or there was no opposition to to him inviting those people and they just saw it as kind of a cowardly uh provocation of the, of the people of Vallecas the 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 the, the neighborhood that he uh, owns a team in and that he is supposed to represent as the owner of that team and and a club with a proud history and i think that's the kind of thing that they just can't forgive yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fascinating and i'm sure this won't be the last sort of story we hear coming out of it um, we can keep across that on the Twitter on at La Liga Lowdown but I will thank you very much for that insight it was, it was really good to listen to Robbie and uh, yeah thank you very much for that that's no problem at all Rory anytime cheers and I'll throw it back to you Sam yeah all is not well in Vallecas with, with Martin Presa there he's a peculiar case but we've got plenty of other peculiar cases in La Liga this season and one of those Rory is Celta Vigo at the start of this season I mean a squad which is kind of jam-packed with talented players, Cacho Kudet, who really kind of settled in very quickly in Vigo last season. But they've not had the best of starts and they lost on Friday night, a 2-1 defeat to Celta Vigo, despite dominating all of the statistics. I mean, at 80% possession, 
seven shots compared to just five for Cadiz. But Cadiz scored with both of their shots on target. I mean, are Celta in trouble after this start to the season? I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to get relegated. I'll, I'll put that out there. They, they are, I don't want to say too good to go down because they've very nearly teetered on the brink of that before and, and come very close to doing so. But I think Chacho is a good enough manager to get them out of this. I think he's shown that. But it was pretty marked, the sort of contrast between them last season. They beat Cadiz 4-0 in this fixture and played one of the best halves of football that I saw in the first half. They were 3-0 up. Um, best halves of football that I'd seen in that sort of season and so the total sort of lack of ability to, to get through Cardiff was, was pretty worrying but I mean Cardiff have done this to, to better teams than Celta as well and that should also be taken into account Yeah definitely I mean it's kind of what we've come to know Cardiff by since they came back up really and, and Alvaro Cervera is kind of instilled that into his team he's kind of smash and grab We'll grab a goal and then we'll just sit back and defend and, and fight for our lives. And that's kind of what they've got so good at, isn't it, in La Liga? And I mean, those two goals in the first half as well, kind of in quick succession, really important for Galif. I mean, these are the points that they need to pick up this season if they are going to stay up. I mean, five points from five games from then, that's a pretty, a pretty positive start. Yeah, definitely. And they did so without Alvaro Negredo, which is pretty pretty monumental for them in a sense. He came on towards the end, but to, to get their sort of two goals... Without him, he's very much the sort of hook on which Cardiff revolve around and sort of build their attacks through. So to manage that was was quite impressive for me and they were missing a couple of players. Certainly that midfield has been solidified with um, Allard gone in there. If he, he looks really, really good, like a very solid signing. And Cardiff, they're just, they're opportunists and they're very organised and that gets them enough points. And, and you have to credit Cervera because... Let's not forget that when they came up last season, many of us were predicting them to struggle. Many of us didn't think that they quite had the quality to, to stay up. And they, they brought in a few new faces, but this is still a squad that largely won the promotion in the second division. Yeah, and we've already spoken about some of the late drama this weekend at Mestalla, but what about Real Betis Espanol? I mean, <laughs> these two teams last weekend, Betis had an 89th minute winner against Granada. Espanol conceded a 99th minute winner from Atletico Madrid. So, of course, there was an injury time winner, equaliser, sorry, in this one. It was Espanyol who scored in the 98th minute. I mean, was that a fair result for both of those teams? It was a, it was a strange game. I thought Betis had about 30, 40 minutes of football where they were absolutely liquid. It was flowing. It was Canales all over the shop playing some of the most wonderful passes we've seen so far this season. And... Betis were really, really good, but they did have that start where they sort of looked a bit shaky, conceded, Alish Vidal scored, scored the Espanyol goal, and then it just all collapses. And I think it's hard to ignore that it coincided with Canales going off. He is the sort of the conductor of that team, and although Nabil Fekir continued to be very good after that, they did struggle after that. And, and the thing with Betis is they just... It's as if they're, they don't think their supporters deserve nice things because Germain Petzela gets sent off in like the most ridiculous of circumstances. You're 2-1 up at home. You're sort of you're trying to see out the game and there was just no need for it. And Manuel Pellegrini is an experienced manager, but he must just be tearing his hair out at, at the sort of errors that his team makes. Yeah, exactly. So just to touch on one more game from this weekend, Roy, I'm going to quiz you a little bit. Mm -hmm. 1-1, right. 
nail 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 two all two all nil nil what does that mean that means that there are not enough good strikers in La Liga that's my answer no well it's Villarreal's results this season <laughs> oh god they've drawn every game they've played and obviously with no Gerard Moreno today he pulled out last minute before their, their game in Mallorca and it was another nil nil draw their third of the season what kind of spark do, does Unai Emery need to get from his team if they're going to kind of convert these draws into wins I think Unai Emery and this is something that was a concern for I think many people last season was that Villarreal just aren't attacking enough and they don't whatever Emery is doing defensively and he is very organized there's a lot of nils in that in that sort of list that you read out he's not freeing up his attack enough and Gerard Moreno was very much sort of a one-man charge in a sense last season Jeremy Pino came on and he, he sort of helps things out he's a little bit more electricity I think I compared them to a wood burner of a team just because it's so slow and deliberate and everything's just congested and yeah I, I think he, he needs to he needs to be more attacking and that's a very simplistic take I, I, I appreciate that but this team has a lot of good attackers and Dan Juma, Bulaidia, they had Pino on as well they, they have more talent to, do, to break these teams down and there's not really an excuse after a season now, and it's a run of form that sort of continued into the back end of last season, for Unai Emery not to be scoring goals with this team. Exactly. I mean, we'll have to get you down on the next flight to, to Villarreal to go and chat to Unai and explain <laughs> to attack a bit more. Great, so stay tuned as we're going to have a quick break now, but after the break we'll be talking to Jeremy and Phil, Atletico and Real Sociedad fans about their fixtures this weekend and also analysing our picks for the matchday MVP. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
Hello and welcome back to part two of our Match Day 5 recap podcast. There were three 0-0 draws in La Liga this weekend, but they were certainly not dull. We had red cards, penalties being missed, hitting the woodwork, all sorts. So first of all, let's head to the reigning champions, Atletico Madrid. There was a feisty and heated draw against Athletic Club. Let's tune in to the most controversial moment of them all as Jesus Gilemanzano decided to send off Joao Felix for two yellow card offences in the space of just a few seconds. And I'm joined by Jeremy Baron of Into the Calderon to discuss that game and the controversy as Jao Felix was sent off. Jeremy, how are you? Doing well, Sam. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. So, Jeremy, we'll go straight to the big talking point. Jesus Manzano, the referee, showed four different yellow cards for descent, and he didn't quite get on the right side of the Atleti fans and the Stadio Wanda Metropolitano either. What did you make of his performance? Very poor performance. Uh, one of the more inexplicable refereeing decisions and displays as a whole uh, that I've seen in some time. Gil Montano is not a very popular figure among Atletico supporters and among Atletico players either for a host of decisions he's made in the past, most recently uh, recently last season when he missed a handball in the build-up to a Sevilla goal in uh, Sevilla's eventual victory over Atletico at the Pizuan. And this time around, it was such a strange... And as I said, inexplicable decision to not only book Xiao Felix like at all, but then subsequently send him off for for getting fouled himself. It was a very, very weird decision to cap off a very weird and frustrating uh, couple of games for Atletico. Yeah, I mean, it's the only time I think I've ever seen Diego Simeone tell a referee to calm down. I mean, <laughs> when Diego Simeone is telling you to calm down, that's a big deal. But Jeremy, I mean... <laughs> Jao Felix, was he a little bit foolish, naive, a bit silly to give Hilmanthano that decision to make? Yeah, it was a little petulant and a little immature of Joao. Um, knowing that uh, this particular referee is very reactionary, this particular referee is not one for conversation. Uh, multiple Atletico players after the game spoke about how Hilmanthano would deliberately step away or step back from players who try to start a dialogue with him. Uh, not the first time that complaint has been lodged against him. So if you're Joao Felix, you do not want to give him any ammunition whatsoever. And that is what happened though. From the player's perspective, I understand it. It was a decision that I'm sure he wasn't even remotely expecting uh, because his jersey is being tugged and the arm, uh, Joao's arm is flailing out as he's, you know, running as he's running with the ball moving at a high speed and he's he's got to be thinking wow i i'm the one who's being shown a yellow card when my jersey is the one that's being tugged so he's got to be a bit confused and and thinking that that's a strange call but at the same time you don't want to add any fuel to that fire this is a referee who is known for having a, a pretty short fuse and a short temper and he unfortunately inadvertently played into that and now we'll see what the uh, possible consequences are whether there's a, a lengthy suspension coming his way 
Yeah, I mean, it was Diego Costa with Hilamantana before, wasn't it, that mm -hmm. spoke up against him and, and ended up with a lengthy ban. But let's talk kind of about the football and, and what was going on on the pitch. So, I mean, for Atleti, four days, two home nil-nil draws. What's going wrong for, for Atletico Madrid? I mean, especially in attack, why is it not quite clicking in the last few games? Yeah, it's three straight draws at home, too, which I'm not sure has ever happened for Atletico at the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, the past two games in particular... Um, have followed kind of similar patterns. Atletico started slowly, didn't really improve until the second half. Uh, but against Athletic, I think the performance was better. Simeone spoke after the game about how the team played faster. They played with more tempo, more rhythm. The changes in the second half really worked. And I think Atletico were trending toward getting that eventual winning goal until the red card. Marcos Llorente had just hit the post. Giannick Carrasco was playing very well. Um, I think the difference in this performance is that the the play was faster, the tempo had increased, the rhythm was better. Rodrigo de Paul played a great game in midfield uh, with no Coque and no Lema. I thought Atletico's midfield held up really well, but they're just not creating enough chances. That's the big problem: um, is that guys like Griezmann and Suarez and Correa just aren't getting any bites at the apple. And when you're not creating that many golden chances, when you're not creating that many shots it's difficult to score goals especially against organized opposition porto and athletic are two very stop short of calling them defensive teams but they're very organized counter-attacking teams so that those are difficult opponents to face back to back uh, but atletico haven't been able to pick the lock they're just not creating enough opportunities yet yeah, and I mean, Luis Suarez, we touched on him there a bit, but I mean, he's beginning to show maybe the signs of his age. I mean, he played yeah. on Tuesday night against Porto and Wednesday night, sorry, against Porto, and then against Atletico, he came on as a sub, but he doesn't quite look in the rhythm of things, does he? No, he doesn't look sharp yet. And you know, it's only been half a dozen games for, for Suarez, and he has in the past been a bit of a slow starter. He did have a long summer with the Copa America and an extended vacation. Based on his track record, you have to think he comes good sooner rather than later, perhaps as soon as this week against Hetafe. But yeah, it hasn't been a good start for Suarez. Uh, he looks pretty slow. He looks uh, isolated when Atletico are, are pushing forward in, in the attack. Uh, there's just seems to be a disconnect between those two lines, the midfield and the forward lines. And Suarez, more than anyone on this team, needs that service because he doesn't move very well anymore. Uh, if you get him the ball in the box, he's going to make something happen. But Suarez hasn't really been getting the ball in dangerous positions. And yeah, it, it's also a function of Simeone still trying to find the best partner for him. Now that there are even more options to choose from an attack this year, uh, it's about trying to find the best partner and it's about trying to get him back into a rhythm. So still a lot of variables up in the air for Suarez. I still think he comes good, but it's been a concerning start for him. Yeah, and I saw a great article from you guys into the Calderon on, on your attacking options at Atletico as well earlier this week. So check that out if you haven't already. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. My pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having um, me. So, Rory, we spoke to Jeremy, and what did you think? I mean, we heard Jeremy's take there that, that Atleti can be fairly optimistic despite these nil-nil draws at home. Are you as optimistic as, as Jeremy? I think you have to have faith in Simeone to be able to work this out. There, There is a lot of talent there. And part of that, I think, is the mentality. I think if you get Griezmann sort of rewired a little, in my, in my view, then you do have a quality player. Suarez, it's always been a case of him playing himself into fitness. So I think there is, 
re uh, reasons for optimism for Atleti fans. My one sort of concern would be whether they can work out these teething problems in time to not be left behind. Exactly. Another team that has been struggling for goals is Sevilla, who, who drew another blank this time up against Real Sociedad. So let's hand over to you, Rory, as you spoke to Phil Ball a little bit more about Real Sociedad and how this was almost a missed opportunity for them to take points up against Sevilla. And I'm joined here by Phil Ball, the expert on everything Real Sociedad. And we've just seen La Real draw with Sevilla. Nil nil. It was a pretty good game that sort of kept threatening to, to have a goal and it kept threatening to burst into life. Mikel Oyarzabal obviously missed a penalty, which is the best chance of the game. But w what did you think of the game, Phil? And, and how do Real Sociedad view that? Because it's a point against Sevilla, but also perhaps could have been a little bit more. Yeah, I... I thought in the end it was a fair result. You know, I thought uh, Real were the better side in the first half. It was Seville was strangely uh, passive. I thought actually, and they didn't didn't seem to be particularly interested in attacking. They um, Lopetegui was going insane on the touchline just uh, just below me. You know, I was watching him. He didn't seem very happy with uh, with matters. But but so I think they were playing quickly and vertically, and uh, and uh, they were playing a kind of four four two, which is quite unusual for them. They had um, Isak and uh, the new guy Sorloth both. Both up front, they were kind of they were kind of exchanging positions all the time. One was dropping and one was going forward. But Real don't normally play that system. They, they had Porto on as well, and you know I suppose also the the fact that that Real had actually been playing on a Thursday night. They only got got back on Friday. They only actually had one training session. Seville a bit were more rested, but but they they mm -hmm. came out the um, they came out playing quicker. I, I thought Seville edged it in the second half possibly. So a fair result despite the uh, the penalty, you know. Yeah, you spoke about Sevilla being better rested and Real Sociedad, they obviously had a really good season last year. They, they won the Cup and they finished in Europe again. But there were certainly spells, I thought, where they were lacking a little something. Today they ended up bringing on Germán Valera, um, a youngster as long as, as well as Julen Lobete. Do they have the squad depth to sort of carry out another sort of charge for European football in La Liga and deal with the Europa League this season? Well, it's you know the fact that Lobetti and Valera came on uh, is half glass half full, half empty, isn't it? I mean, what's the interpretation? I mean, I, in, in my view, it's, it's it's glass half full. You know, I, I I'm a bit of a sado. You know, I, I, what I can do now, I can actually go to I know it's every weekend now, and I can see a. a Again, because uh, the the reserves are the only B team in the second division, which is amazing, you know. And so the fact that they've got them in the second division, they've got Lobetti and Valera playing every week in the second division, means that the step up to that kind of game is is much more uh, plausible or feasible, let's say, you know. And um, uh, I think Xabi Alonso is not necessarily too pleased about never quite being sure who, who he's going to have in his first team <laughs> at any weekend, you know. But uh, I uh, Valera played particularly well, I thought, when he came on. Lobetti's already well, he scored against Barca in that well, after his first touch. Uh, he's a good lad as well. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good players in that in that Sanse team, the the, uh, the B team. Uh, so I I would take that as as as, as a positive. Actually, I think th there is um, depth in the squad. I, I think that the problem with Real this season, like last season, is that they the whole the whole squad seems strangely and mysteriously uh, prone to injury and, and we just seem to have 
six or seven major players always, you know, in dry dock. And uh, the the local press are very kind about it, but uh, I'm a little bit less kind about it. And I'm not quite sure what's going on. I mean, you know, Isak went off in the first half today, you know, didn't seem to be... It looked like a hamstring or a pull or something. He didn't. He didn't actually. Nobody kicked him or anything, you know. So I think that's that's one that's one problem that we've got to sort out. But but uh, you know, it's. Um, I think that was also an, an issue last year, and probably the reason why we finished fifth and, and not fourth, which Seville finished fourth, you know. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned Isak there. I I for one actually thought that the partnership of Isak and Surloff, which maybe unconventional for Agothiel, it's not something he does often, is playing sort of two up front, but it really troubled Sevilla at points and maybe they didn't get the clear chances they wanted, but they were the better team, as you said. Just what is it that Surloff can add to this Real Sociedad team that maybe they were lacking? Yeah, it's interesting that uh, that he did that. I think he probably did that because Lopetegui wasn't expecting it, you know. And I think that he was a bit... <laughs> I think I, I really think that's why Real had were dominated the first half because Lopetegui's tactical setup wasn't wasn't designed to to look after two forwards like that, you know. And then he had Porto playing on the left, and uh, he got Oyarzabal over on the right. Or he had a good first half for Oyarzabal, but he tired, you know. Um, I, I think Solov, from what I've seen of him, I've seen him. That's the first time I've seen him play. Uh, almost the whole game, you know. He's he, obviously he's big and he's strong and he, he protects the ball well. I mean, for a big guy, he's pretty skillful. And what was interesting in the second half, I was talking to me mate, watching the game, was mm-hmm. that he started to look a bit annoyed with things. And Soloth was getting annoyed with the the service, or at least it wasn't. There was a lack of service. It was just that Real still have to play this kind of tiki taka stuff. You know, they get to the area and they still have to do tiki taka. Nobody just knocks in a quick cross. And Solos, obviously a guy if you watch YouTube who can attack the near post. Mm-hmm. He can he can win it in the air. He was troubling the Seville defenders in the air. You know, and yet there were, there were twice there was twice where he he he, he sort of criticised a couple of the Real players for not getting across him more quickly. And I think the problem is that Real Sociedad is so. They've got this system so automatized, you know, they they can't stop doing it. You know, they 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 just think they have to do about fifteen passes in the area before somebody shoots. Soloth is a different kind of player, and I think that if you've got him on there, you've got to think about that. Particularly when Isak went off, you know, that there should have been there should have been quicker quicker crosses, getting them in quick. Maybe Yanosai getting them in more quick. He did that just towards the end. But uh, so I think that. The, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Uh, I think that Real have got to learn to adjust to the kind of player they've, they've got up front. And I, I don't think they actually did that well today. Although Soloth himself, I thought, played well. Yeah, interesting. And I think it will be good to see sort of Aguacil deal with a different kind of prospect with Soloth up front. But I will thank you for your time because we we do have to pass it back to Sam, but it was excellent hearing the detail that you could give us again, Phil. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, my my, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm I'm back to you, Sam. Okay. (laughs) Ciao, ciao, ciao. See you. Bye. So now it's time to discuss the MVP of Match Day 5. So let's get started with you, Rory. Who's your first pick for the four nominees? My first pick is Hugo Duro Toko. Um... For me, he just embodies Jose Bordalas, and he's not the player that's sort of most talented in this Valencia team, nor was he in the Hatafe team, but Bordalas requested him, and for a reason, because Hugo Doro playing out of position on the sort of left side of, of the Valencia sort of midfield, 
he did a really, really good job, and he, he kept Real Madrid quiet on while he was there. He finished his sort of one chance that fell to him, and that really opened the game up for Valencia. And as we were saying, I think Valencia deserved it over the course of the 90 minutes. Hugo Doro embodied the the performance of Valencia while he was on the pitch, and it was just unfortunate that he, he didn't score the winner or, or at least earn them a point this week. But I feel like I need to say for the Madridistas, would you not go with Vinicius, Rory? I mean... A goal and an assist late on in the game. I mean, he's been spectacular this season. Maybe the the early on in the game he wasn't at his best, but I mean, he's he's been a match winner tonight. Yeah, Vinicius was decisive, and I think that is incredible play, incredible praise for Vinicius because there's been so many times where he could have been and hasn't. And I I, I don't think Vinicius was the the best sort of player on the park. To be put it very frankly, he he was good at times and he, he was a threat still but it was only that sort of last few minutes where he became decisive and let's be honest his first goal was a deflection and if it goes straight it goes straight to Mamadashvili and the second one yes okay it was a decent ball in but Mamadashvili also shouts for that ball because you can see you can see Gabriel just before it he, he stops he's about to edit and he stops he puts his head down he thinks Mamadashvili's getting it and if Mohamed Rashvili fulfills his obligations to get that ball, then Benzema doesn't score. I can feel the Madridista rage coming in already, Rory. <laughs> I welcome it. <laughs> but if we are going to talk about guys who kind of dominated the game, then I think for me there's only one guy who did that in the whole weekend, and that's Pathesis um, Raya. I mean, the, the headlines, the star of the show was Falcao, but I mean, he got the second goal for Raya just when they most needed it, when Hetafe were upping the pressure. And then he assisted Falcao for his goal a few minutes later. I mean, he really kind of bossed that whole game in the middle of the park. I mean, up against Atafe. I mean, Atafe's midfield is not a bad midfield. I mean, in Nemanja Maximovic, he's a very kind of experienced and, and talented central midfielder. But Sis kind of played him off the park. And this is a guy who's only got a handful of a Primera División appearances. So for me, I think Sis for his all-round performance, I mean, that's what sets him apart this weekend, I think. I mean, involved in two goals important defensively and, and bossed everything in the middle. I mean, for me, that's what an MVP is. And so I think Pathesis has to be one of the players in the in the shortlist. That's a, that's a fairly good case. And, and what about that pass for the goal? Magnificent. I mean, it was you would forget that it was Rayo Vallecano that you were watching. I mean, that pass, which was kind of <laughs> perfectly weighted, perfectly positioned. And then Falcao, who finished it like he was back at Atleti at the peak of his powers and and it was magnificent stuff from Raya. I mean, if they can produce that a couple more times before the end of the season, then relegation will be the least of their worries. Definitely, definitely. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna have another candidate here of a slightly different ilk and uh, style. Patesis was smooth in midfield. He, he was very well rounded, as you say. Pacha Espino is pure fight. The caddies left back for me, and I've been on the, the Pacha propaganda for a while um, at the start of this season because his form has just been fantastic. And he, he is, similarly to how I was saying, it's Hugo Doro embodied the Valencia performance. Pacha Espino is Alvaro Severa's sort of right-hand or left-hand man in this case um, on the pitch because he, he's, he's dogged, he's aggressive, he's opportunistic. That goal was pure sort of being alert. And, and getting there ahead of his defenders and the Celta defenders. And yeah, I, I think for me, he really sums up this Cadiz team and, and he was he's playing at a level because 
apart from his sort of good defending and his, his Uruguayanness, so to speak, and <laughs> being very solid, he, he is really good on the ball as well. Some of the crosses that he puts in are of high quality, and so for me, he, he's another candidate that I think it's worth looking at. Yeah, and I think the final candidate, from my point of view, has to be another fullback, but on the other side this time, and down in Andalusia, but Hector Bellerin. I mean, he's come into Real Betis, I mean, he's boyhood club, and he's made a really strong start. And I think up against Espanyol, he was kind of, he was involved in everything. I mean, the defence, he was rock solid, and going forward, he set up Nabil Fakir for, for the second goal for Betis, just on the stroke of half-time. And it was one of those kind of dominant displays from a right-back where you keep seeing this guy coming up. I mean, almost a bit Trent Alexander-Arnold, Danny Alvarez-esque in a way that you see this guy coming up in attack, in defence, and thinking, right, the right-back isn't supposed to be there, but that's what Hector Bellerin was doing. I mean, this is what Arsenal fans, if they've been tuning in to watch a little bit of Betis and see how he's getting on, that's what they'd be wanting to see him doing. I mean, that was almost what he was doing at his best days at Arsenal, and that's what Betis will be hoping to get out of him now, I think. Up against Espanyol, he produced one of those displays that shows what he can do on his day. Yeah, it was a very serious performance from Bellerin, and he's become something, I think some people have been a little humorous of his performances at Arsenal lately, but he looks like a real real asset to this Betis side and has really opened things up for them. I, I totally agree with you there, Sam. Great, so I think we've got our four then. I mean, I wanted Vinicius, but you want Hugo Doro, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Pache Espino, Patesius, and Hector Bellerin. So make sure you jump onto La Liga Lowdown's Twitter, at La Liga Lowdown, on Monday to get your votes in and choose our MVP for match day five. Great, so thank you very much for, for joining me this week, Rory. We've got a midweek match day coming up as well, so I'm sure you'll be tuning into all the action this week. The football does not stop, and I will not stop watching it doesn't stop Champions League La Liga midweek La Liga another La Liga it doesn't stop so stay tuned this week keep tuned on the website where we'll have a new post up on some talented youngsters at Barcelona we'll also be covering all the action on Twitter at La Liga Lowdown this week and we'll be back later this week with another podcast analysing and seeing if Real Madrid can keep top spot and make it their own or if there will be maybe even a sacking or two, as we know that there are a few managers coming under a little bit of pressure. <clears throat> Michelle. So, <laughs> thanks for joining me, Rory, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay tuned, and as we go out, let's just listen in one more time to that dramatic ending at Mestalla. Karim Benzema! Gol, 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 gol! Del Madrid! Marco Karim Benzema! Pelota que pone Vinicius! Falla! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.